When looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Well, excuse me! Looking for good ideas for life? You're far from good hands. Hey, bud, what's your problem? If you think the listener is always right, you're far from the right place. Out of order! Even in the future, nothing works! Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, but a rebel by choice. Are you threatening me? If you want a host that floats between love and madness, and we know the night is always gonna be here anyway. Thinking of you's working up my appetite, looking forward to a little afternoon delight. Then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. All right, guys, uh, listen to the blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any other films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hello again, wrestling fans. This is Adam Parsons from Classic All-Star Wrestling, and you're tuning in right now Crazy Train Radio. Hey, folks. It's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc. Jonathan Steele. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Crazy Train Radio, Jonathan Steele's show. I'm old Dr. Mike, Mike Lano here. And I kind of pushed this through because I've been talking about it on a variety of uh, other shows and media and stuff. Classic all-star wrestling. At least I caught it by accident. Nobody was scrolling around because that channel for quite a while, for years, was airing Ring of Honor and Ring of Honor repeats. And it's aired Championship Wrestling, not from Hollywood. Uh, I'll get into that later. That's filmed like three hours north in a rural seaside town. So it has nothing to do with Hollywood. But anyway, that's Dave, the uh, Wetchamajigger's show. But 
on uh, usually midnight, like Wednesday late night into Thursday morning midnights, at least Pacific time. It is on New England Sports Network. That's on DirecTV. Classic All-Star Wrestling, Rock Parsons and his son, Adam. Adam is the host. And they have an incredible array of footage, but they also have a, a big company. Uh, is it, uh, and we have Adam Parsons here. Is the company called, so the company's name, is it Wrestling? Legends what? Network. Yeah, Wrestling Legends Network. But yeah. you guys have an incredible coveted array of video, of classic video. And, you know, with Vice Network doing the Dwayne Johnson and Brian Gewertz project with the vice dark side of the ring guys their territories thing debuts this is a place and you've already had this a tutorial on the territories for i don't know how long you've run it well tell us let me just throw out what i know of to be the footage which is probably just a small part of what you have you've got joe blanchard's uh southwest championship wrestling with lou thez doing color you've yeah got, gosh memphis jarrett Papo ICW, Polynesian Pro, that's Liam Ivea, Dono in Portland, The Sheik, at least Toronto, uh, you know, when he was booking up there for Tunney, but I, I'm not sure if you've got Detroit, but you have Eddie Einhorn's classic 70s IWA. Uh, tell us how long it is and, and what you guys have been doing, because your dad is really famous in the wrestling business, and now you're a big star, and we've been feeding a lot of people over to that show. Hopefully, they become subscribers to your streaming network and purchases of your DVDs. But the stuff you have is just amazing. And for an old school guy from the 60s like me, I'm watching matches I either forgot or never saw. It's great shit. Yeah. It's good stuff. It's really great. <laughs> um, Dick the Bruiser's uh, promotions in there right, as right. well, uh, along with some of the stuff in the Dumont network. Um, back in the 50s and 60s, uh, you, know, you get to see Vern Gagne with hair and a very young Buddy Rogers. So that stuff's in there as well. Um, I think other than that, you, you pretty much cover it. And we've worked with the, uh, Ron Thor in the past with the Continental um, footage as well. So that was that's another one. Uh, that yeah, the, we've been doing this. Oh, I'm sorry, I was going to say the Fuller. Was that the, uh, the one that uh, kind of came about in the early, was it the early 90s? It had Austin Idol and Eddie Gilbert and Paul Heyman. Was it that one or is it? That was he, after uh, that. That guy's name um, – was, his name is David Woods. Uh, David Woods is, is still alive and, and still involved in politics uh, in, this, in that area of Alabama. But uh, that was after David Woods, Ron Fuller might be the only guy that had sold two different promotions to the same guy twice. Wow. He sold uh, Continental to him, and then he started Pro Wrestling USA back in Knoxville, and then he ended up selling that to him. And I think that's when Idol and Gilbert and all those guys were there was the second time he sold it to him. Um, this was the Heyman double cross of Eddie Gilbert up at ECW. Eddie Gilbert was yeah. for Todd Gordon. And then he recommends bringing in Heyman to Todd Gordon, who was carrying on Joel Goodhart's TWA, which then morphed into Eastern Championship Wrestling. Eddie starts it, and he has his co-bookers helping him out, some of the best minds, Terry Funk, Kevin Sullivan. Um, and then Heyman comes in and soon after pushes his old pal, uh, Eddie Gilbert out of the way, and he was no longer part of ECW, which then, of course, you know, the infamous NWA show morphed into or turned into extreme and blah, blah, blah. But no matter what you have, that area is good. All of the stuff that you have is outstanding. And I was just marking out, I was watching because I'm still behind. I tape it every week to watch it. But I think last week's show 
you opened up with some South, uh, we had Bachwinkle wrestling for uh, Blanchard and Thez is doing the commentary. I mean, it really doesn't do any, it doesn't come any better than that. So I'll shut up. How did this all come about? And maybe tell us your dad and your family's history in the biz. Yeah. Um, and actually, I missed some. South Atlantic Pro Wrestling from the early 90s in the Carolinas. And then there's uh, a little bit of Deep South, um, which was Jody, Bl- uh, Jody Hamilton. A little bit of Southern, which was Jerry Blackwell's promotion. Um, there's some stuff that Joe Pettacino ran, which was called Georgia All-Stars. And oh, yeah. then Ted Allen, who was the old nightmare, he ran Peach State Wrestling. Um, so we have some of that as well, which is actually all about to be uh, a special just featuring the best matches uh, from Georgia independent wrestling in the 80s. So, but uh, how it started was, it actually started with that stuff. Uh, my dad had met Ted Allen, and, and Ted would he would use Ted Allen's ring to run shows with. And sometimes it would be like, uh, they would kind of be like, hey, I'll come for, you know, pretty small amounts of money. Be running a small town on a Thursday night or something, maybe six, seven, eight guys. And then my dad would kind of return the favor for him sometimes. Um, so there were sometimes, and this doesn't speak to, to the cheapness of Ted Allen is not what I'm trying to say, but sometimes it would turn out to be like, Hey, you just want like six of these tapes? Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so he would take them and he just started to collect this collection. Um, and right before Dick, the bruiser died in 90 or 91, um, he bought about maybe 10 hours from him total. Um, and I still have a handwritten letter because Dick used to call that show all-star wrestling. Um, and it's a handwritten letter says, uh, Dave, comma, you know, you have my permission to use all-star wrestling sign at the bottom, Dick Atlas. It's pretty cool. Um, so my dad was just kind of collecting all these old tapes and he had this idea that if you had a, a television station that did nothing but old wrestling, just if they should nothing but like TV land of wrestling, you know, that would be really cool. But either a didn't have the, the funds to do his own national network like that. And B at that time. Um, it wasn't as easy to have a studio and cameras and all. I mean, at COVID, when COVID was here, uh, the the whole first season of Classic All Star Wrestling was shot in one room. You would have never known it was in it was in just this little tiny room with a green screen and some lights. And you know, it's so easy to get that stuff now compared to what it was then. But that was his foresight. And then at the end, it ended up Vince created the twenty four seven channel, which was kind of the same idea. Um, and then when they created the network. Um, we had actually, when Roku first came out and I saw all those independent channels were going on there, I said, dad, we should have our own channel on there. And he was like, oh, that'll never work. <laughs> and then out came the WWE network and it did, it did very, you know, it did very well Had a million people sign up for it. So we kind of looked at that and thought, man, maybe there is a market, um, to do this. So we started that in 2018, started filming, um, some shows and interviewing some guys. And I think early 19, uh, maybe February, March of 19. Uh, it was Jarrett Parsons wrestling TV then at the time. Um, Jerry Jarrett was involved with us at the time uh, from a previous project. And we kind of asked him if he wanted to be involved with that. Um, he was involved for about a year and there's no hard feelings there. It was just um, differences, I guess, in directions of where we wanted to go. I'll put it that way. So then we went to uh, – um, wrestling legends network that company kind of reached out to us of course that's not their actual business name uh, but they had reached out to us with this idea of calling it wrestling legends network and they would kind of handle the boatload of the streaming process um it's it's been 
a pretty unique journey uh, to be able to go through all this and meet some different people and meet people behind the scenes on television and, you know, and be able to uh, be in contact with guys like Barry Bloom about projects has been, you know, kind of mind blowing um, to be 26. Oh, Barry Bloom, been... super agent? <laughs> super agent? Uh, the, yeah, there's, the, so that was uh, very early and that was the first project that we did that kind of led to Jared, uh, that led to us going to streaming. Um, but that was right as AEW was kicking off at the same time. So I don't want to harp on that because that's, like that story is a, it's a pretty cool story. I'll tell it very quickly. Uh, we were going to do this. We shot this, not even a pilot. It was like a pre-pilot. It was a pilot for television networks, essentially. And it was the American Idol of wrestling. Um, we had Robert Ford, Jim Cornette were, were two of the judges. Uh, we got talent, local talent from all over the East Coast, from Florida, clear up to Michigan. Brought them in, let mm-hmm. them wrestle uh, to a two-minute two two minute minimum. And then at any given time, the horn could go off and the judges would judge, yay or nay. And Barry Bloom was all about it. Uh, we had Scott Hall on board, and then all of a sudden, bam, that AEW money uh, came at Barry, and then that was pretty much where it, where it landed after that. That was another reason for us to go to streaming as well, was to try and create our own network that we could put whatever we want on. Um, now streaming has grown tenfold since then. Uh, so with things like Tubi and, and places and Crackle um, and places like that, we're we're looking to expand more there. We are on Tubi right now with about thirty titles, but we're looking to get some different avenues as well. Um, no, wait a minute, I don't know this about Barry. Barry, I've worked and known for decades because I think he was the first guy to challenge Vince, representing uh, uh, Jesse Ventura, who Jonathan and Jonathan chime in anytime. Jonathan and I were just talking about you know, possibly trying to get uh, Jesse on because Jesse is doing fan fests and conventions and 80s, this and that. And, um, but, and, and, and another thing, which reminds me of Barry Bloom, I would see him at Natby TV conventions in the early 90s, which I used to go to a lot in uh, New Orleans, New York. And, you know, when my wife and I were living in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, Jesse was, he had just started for WCW and so I was assigned because I worked for WCW magazine from, you know, that newsstand magazine, its whole run as a writer photographer, I was told that the nappy thing, and there were no marks or fans there. It was all industry TV people to just take Jesse Ventura and Jonathan hasn't heard the story and Missy Hyatt around and once or twice Jim Ross, but he was kind of busy at the booth. So I'd take Missy and Jesse and pose them with people that had shows. And this was like, 1991, 1991. So Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, Oprah Winfrey, Joan mm-hmm. Rivers, Siskel and Ebert, uh, Regis Feldman and Kathy Lee Gifford, and um, I'm leaving up. I said Oprah, and uh, you know the cast of Seinfeld. They'd have all these people there because they were going for the big syndication money. So I'd be posing them with all these folks, and now you know Missy's asking for those photos. But I was thinking of using those photos as bribery to get Jesse on here. But uh, Bloom, <laughs> Bloom, I knew throughout because I was the higher photographer for Barry Blastings Beyond the Mat. I was the still photographer all of those years of pre-production. And he would take his financial partner and one of his best friends and Barry Bloom, and we'd all go to these shitty little, and this is podcast, so you can cuss, uh, these uh, not so great uh, indie shows that, uh, this guy was promoting in Vegas that was trying to be a wannabe ECW guy. He would, you know, the whole undercard would be nobody's you'd ever heard of trainees in LA, but then on top he'd have 
Sabu versus Terry Funk versus Mick Foley in a cage three-way or what have you. But Barry Bloom, I, I see, I haven't talked to him about a year and a half, but it's, is he doing some for AEW? I had no idea. He was in the beginning. So he was like the liaison that put all that together. Um, it was kind of the, he was, he was the connection from the wrestling side to the television side was Barry. And at the same time, we were talking to CMT um, about that. Uh-huh. We call and they called it a sizzle reel at the time. Right, right. Uh, that's where, we yeah. So we, we were calling it the sizzle reel, and that's who was pitching it to some that he pitched maybe four or five networks. CMT kind of bid on it and liked it. Um, I guess they thought maybe wrestling would appeal to more of their audience. Well, they had a wrestling they, program on before. What was it? Wasn't it EC? Jonathan, was the TV show on CMT? That a no, show you're thinking, wrestling with evil or wrestling with dead people or something that was a they were, I don't know, no, you're they, thinking they had one of days. Austin's one of Austin's many shows. I thought it was a, yeah. uh, a challenge. No, you're thinking of the uh Hogan show where they train celebrities was on CMT. Uh, oh, okay. I went what to those the, tapings, those were an abortion too. The Dennis Rodman what was, show. What was the one that was around for about six weeks and it was wrestling with something and the, the people were uh Grave digits or drawers, more t- more t- oh, yeah, right, morticians right. or yeah, 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 you know, cremated people or so. It was really a weird show. I think it was on CMT for maybe like three. Yeah, and they ran a family promotion, right? Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw it. I saw it. I don't yeah. miss much. Ah, that's a scream. So, but Bloom is no longer. He so he was sort of the heiress, the liaison at the beginning. He's not part of AW or advising. I, I don't. I don't know that. I I know only that now. I just know the time he was, and that was kind of the. We looked at it like, well, I mean, multi 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 billionaires telling you to have an exclusive deal to get you on television. I don't blame him. Um, I don't think. I don't really think the show. If you were there and you watched it, and then you tried to produce it, put it together. I don't think the show was a, the best idea in the world anyway. Um, but at that time, AEW wasn't on TV. So there was, you needed an alternative. And the, the idea was where to go around the country. Um, so independent shows, not bringing people in. That once it got signed, you would take the judges and take people to the shows. You would say you didn't have any venue costs, you had no ring costs, you had no talent costs other than the three judges. You had no, no overhead other than your production, you would go sign 16 and you'd go through rounds and eventually then you'd bring them all together, find 16 wrestlers, start a national promotion with 16 guys. By that point, people have been fully invested. In that was kind of the idea, which I think would have in the tail end of things without AEW being in the picture would have worked, but with them as the alternative, I don't know if that's, I don't think in a long, in hindsight being 2020, it would have worked. Um, What's the Mountie, Jock Rujo? He's doing something like that right now in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Taking young guys and, yeah, they get a shot with TNA or well, now it's Impact or whatever. But. Well, of course, we're talking to Adam Parsons for Classic All-Star Wrestling. It's on many platforms. We'll get into that. We're going to let him have quite an ample amount of time to plug everything. But it is all of this incredible territory wrestling. Nobody is fulfilling that niche uh, yet. Um, you know, who knows? I mean, I've sent in, I've had photos purchased. I don't even know what's going to be airing in the territories thing. I have some photos for the Jarrett thing. So, uh, a Jerry Jarrett, the genius of all genius, brilliant wrestling mind. Does he, he didn't, I f- thought he had some kind of construction business on the site. He had 
you know, he's had a lot of different things going on, non wrestling in his yeah. life. He's also the yeah. master of chicken salad, apparently, too. <laughs> chicken salad. <laughs> um, oh, so Jerry, yeah. uh, Jerry got into construction um, sometime in the ni- early 90s, not, not um, full force. Um, later, uh, about 94, 95, 96, somewhere like that. Right around that time period where like there was like a two or three year period where Jeff would be for one company for a year that he'd leave and go to the other one for a year that he'd leave and he'd go back when he kind of bounced around like that was around that time period. Um, Jerry had a contract with 7-Eleven. His company would come in, they'd build 7-Elevens, they'd move. And they just kind of had the Mid-South area as far as basically just straight up Mississippi and take about 300 miles in either direction. And that was kind of their their area, but they were building Seven Elevens. They were building almost, I want to say maybe ten a week. It's just like he's not involved in wrestling. It was good to see him. I don't know if there was brief heat with you know over TNA with he and Jeff, but in that room with Flair, etc. You know, doing those promos for the uh, Flair, the so called Flair's last match thing, just whatever six weeks ago. And seeing Jeff and Jerry in the same room together was kind of heartwarming for an old fart like me. Uh, and then last thing I want to ask, though, before I throw and ask Jonathan, he's got some questions. Is Ted Allen, didn't he pass away a few years ago? Or is, am I thinking of a different Ted Allen? No, nope. Ted, Ted. Uh... Nightmare Ted probably, Allen. Probably 2011. Okay, because he used to come to our... Uh, it wasn't mine, but Dean Silverstone used to throw these um, Northwest wrestling reunions at his house right on the water outside of Seattle. And Ted came to quite a few of them. One time with Arn Anderson, who he was, they were close. He wanted Arn to see all these legends. And uh, yeah, he was a, a super terrific guy we used to see uh, quite Who a- did you say ran the, ran the reunion? Well, it was Dean Silverstone who used to be an outlaw promoter okay. to Gene Kiski yeah. and some yep. of those guys in the Vancouver area and Washington proper, yes. even Don yep. Owen. Yeah, so Dean passed away about 14, 15 months ago. Uh, but he would have these. And anyway, I uh, for one of them, I flew up with Ray Stevens in room with him because he was living near me in Hayward and I was in Alameda near Oakland on the water. And... Uh, and then he and his, his weird story. A lot of folks don't even know his uh, longtime, long-suffering wife, Teresa Thies, was a female legendary wrestler, Ray Stevens. And uh, even when they split up, when he, uh, they were still re- remained good friends and all that, they tried to get Ray's daughter, Laura, into the biz. And she had the same gravelly voice from smoking and drinking that Ray had. And he had her, well, his wife himself and Johnny Mae Young tried to train her for pro, but nothing much came of that. That's when Johnny Mae Young was actually uh, living at Woody Farmer. This is a legendary wrestler. Most people way back. Yeah. Yeah. And oddly for Geigel, Woody Farmer was the first championship partner Shawn Michaels ever had any kind of a title with when he first started out before he went to Vern, he's starting out, you know, does his thing in, uh, uh, Texas where he was living and then Jose Lothario got him hooked up with Geigel and you know even in with the short hair and he didn't have his look or any uh, sort of 
conference. Yeah. They paired him with Woody and they took the central states tag titles as faces. You know, they held it for about six weeks, but uh, Woody was uh, somehow or other, he was uh, dating Johnny May's sister living in Northern California. So Johnny May Young, better known as May Young comes out. And then she basically was running Woody's promotion with him, training the male and female wrestlers. But uh, anyway, so uh, I don't know. I forgot what tangent I was on with that. But, you know, that was kind of a cool period. Oh, uh, you know, it, it was talking about Ray Stevens' daughter, Laura. And, um, you know, so there, so there we have that. I don't know. Jonathan, do you have some questions while I try to reboot my brain? Yeah, no, it's fine. I was actually thinking about this as you guys were talking. Is there any footage that might be up for grabs that either the WWE don't own or anything like that? Yeah, I just interesting. I laugh because for like the last year, I don't I don't do this. Usually, it has to be someone that I get to know um, in order for me to do one of these, and I've I've no problem doing them, but. I like to just get to know the person before I come on the air. I feel like it makes the interview better. And that, but I get asked that every single time. <laughs> is there like a, a bucket list of if I could get my hands on something? Um, there is. Uh, there are some things out there that I know are out there. Of course, I, I think the, the easiest one to point out would be the Houston stuff. Um, it was on that channel, NWA Classics or whatever it was, when Bruce Starp was still present at the NWA. Um, I've heard some wishy-washy story about it, who actually owns that. Um, and I would like to, to get it, but it was so easily, um, I guess you call it booted or bootable off of the streaming site. People were able to download it so easily. It's all over YouTube. Um, so I'm not really interested. In, David, in Berkowitz. David Berkowitz was Paul Bosch's nephew. I think it was the nephew, the way his widow um, told me. And his widow, uh, who was, you know, really, really sweet lady. We'd see her every year at Cauliflower Alley Vegas. And prior to that in LA, when we had Cauliflower Alley there, Valerie Bosch, um, she said that when Paul died, Paul had, I was uh, lucky enough to have been invited to photograph in his office, which was a wrestling museum. He had several foot and handprints, both left and right of Andre the Giant. He had all of the stuff. And somehow or other, Bockwinkle, speaking of Bockwinkle, was a financial partner for a time of Peter Berkowitz, the nephew of Paul Bosch. But when Paul died, uh, Nick took some stuff, including the foot, at least one of the footprints of Andre, and, and gave it to Cauliflower Alley because he was president for X period of time until we lost him. But Berkowitz, according to Valerie Bosch, like took all of that footage. So he's like the owner of it. And... Mm-hmm. and um, the Pritchard brothers, Tom and Bruce, had a real hard time. They wanted to do a big tribute. You know, their guru as young fans was Paul Bosch, who gave yeah. uh, Tommy Pritchard his de- you know debut in wrestling. And then he sent him to my territory, and I pick him up at the airport for his very first match for us in Los Angeles as Cowboy Tom Pritchard. But uh, so that footage Berkowitz had, and he was disallowing the Pritchards. They had to do all of the stuff to get the footage from him. And I'm talking like 1993. And Valerie was uh, super upset. She could not even watch it. And, you know, I don't know. So I, I think he still, because he did, he, he wrote a book about Houston wrestling a couple of years ago that's out in paperback. And, uh, but I've not heard of 
so Vince didn't get his claws on that Houston footage, to your knowledge? No, when he took Houston, he didn't he didn't take any of that. Um that, well, maybe some of it, but not enough to where Bruce Starp, when he did that streaming channel, I'm not sure who who he went through to get it, but it was a lot of hours were on there. I mean it was probably over a hundred. Um, but it seems like every single thing he had on there ended up getting on YouTube. So whatever he was using to do the streaming, it wasn't encrypted well enough. Um that would be one, um, just because I think it's an obvious one that people have seen within the last couple of years that's resurfaced. Um, another one is uh, Bob Lush in the, the Chicago area. Bob Lush's daughter, uh, Robin, and I spoke on the phone for probably a month, um, and she was looking to get rid of all that stuff. Bob Lush's uh, wife is still alive. Um, I think really? there's a huge, there's a little bit of an age difference there, uh, but there would almost have to be because Bob Lush would is would be really, really old by this point for his wife to still be alive. He was a total legend on. because you know he worked with Vince Sr. He had the wrestling in Chicago yeah. with Aragold Arena. Right. He had all of that stuff that I thought Ronnie Martinez had as part of this because when... So oh, the stuff that I have from Marigold Arena is the stuff that came from Ronnie. But okay. this stuff was completely separate some um, of it's on two inch which is super super hard to find uh, someone to do it that was a big conversation we had um and then some of the stuff's on on some reels but there's no markings on what it is the only markings was on the two inch stuff and i was trying to explain to her that you know you having a, a tape on two inch that's never been mastered is almost like um uh, you're coming to me with a, a car that in 1970 would have been really good, but it doesn't have power windows. It doesn't have climate control. It doesn't have a sunroof. It doesn't have Bluetooth. It's like a pirate treasure have. where you don't have the key to yeah. and access it. Right. Yes, basically. So I'm like, you know, you're, you're, the value of what you have is actually less because I'm going to have to spend a ton to get that fixed. To convert. Yeah, and to convert. View it, and that's and what I was like. You're going to have to spend a lot to even view and see if it's viewable, if there's breaks, yes. all of that. It, because all of these people, we've learned that you and I talked, I think we have like a four hour call like a month ago. But on <laughs> the very subject, the, these people, they either taped, they were either cheap like my boss, Mike LaBelle, and even Roy Shire, just taped over the taped over after they bicycle it, or those that had some smarts like the Sheik uh, or, you know, brilliant mind of Jerry Jarrett. They kept the stuff. Uh, and, and some of those guys knew how to temperature control it. Like Johnny Carson's you've heard about his archive underground in Vegas, temperature control. So everything is perfect. They've made millions off that stuff selling, yeah. homes, which you can do with the, you know, with the stuff you have, which is primo stuff. I was going to say that uh, the, the, Marigold stuff that we used to see. Remember, I told maybe I didn't tell you this, but I thought I did. We talked about that show where the Sklar comedy brothers on ESPN Classic, they would sit and talk over your footage before you got it. The IWA, most yes. of it was the Bavarian Boys and yeah. Crusher Johnny Valentine, Marigold stuff. And they would mm -hmm. just, like, you know, do Mystery Science Theater sort of parody, but you yeah. could tell the wrestling was excellent too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the stuff with, with Lucia's daughter just came down to, um, let me talk to all my family. She's got five or six siblings. Let me talk to them. And she's like, you know, we all talked and none of us are in the wrestling business, but I saw Jimmy Valiant about three years ago. That's what she says. She says, uh, 
And I asked him what he thought it was worth, and he said it was a gold mine. And I said, Jimmy, do you think it's worth a couple million dollars? And Jimmy said, absolutely. No, Jimmy's a sweetheart, but he has no clue. <laughs> right. He's never edited anything or converted anything. No, he doesn't anything. know. Jimmy is uh, stayed in touch with him all these decades. And uh, Jonathan doesn't even know this story in 75 where he gave myself and another friend, I won't mention, two of his the most beautiful rats in New York City after uh, a Vince Senior taping. Uh, that was 1975. I wasn't married or anything then. So it was okay. But <laughs> I've known Jimmy forever. So I played photos for his book, which is like a thousand pages if you've ever seen it. But Jimmy doesn't know. I would tell her if it's uh, fiscally you know, impossible for you to, to do that. She should just donate. Yeah, that, she should like a year and a half ago. Vegas museum, something like that, where maybe you guys could then work with it. I mean, if she's looking for a gold mine, that ain't going to be happening there. Yeah. And that's, that was one that broke my heart because um, she had the complete shows of those. Uh, they call them the Super Bowl of wrestling. Like Eddie Graham did one in Florida, but right. did two of those in Chicago. One was in like 72 and one was in like 74. Um, and it was just stacked with talent. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Young Dusty tagging with Dick Murdoch and stuff like that. Was well, I, thought, that I was thought that uh, Bob, well, oh, you're, we're talking about, oh, Bob Luce. I'm thinking of, uh, who was the guy before Luce? Fred Kohler. No, Fred, Fred Kohler. Kohler in Chicago. Fred Kohler. Kohler was the Marigold Fred guy. Fred Kohler was the Marigold guy. Yeah, you know the story with Bob him. Luce. Yeah, right. Oh, but now, but, but he, now and <laughs> See, this is why we had a four-hour phone conversation. But now you know who was a young man that worked for Fred Kohler and ended up becoming a great promoter. Wait, wait, wait. Well, there was a who lot of start, get out of who Fred got to start. Start with Fred Kohler in Chicago. Would it be Gagne? Well, no, Gagne. Yeah, Gagne was part of that, but 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 they were kind of promoting AWA when it started in '61. Was kind of tandeming. Uh, I was going to say Ernie Roth got his start, the Grand Wizard Abdullah Farouk in Chicago. Yeah, but a, prom a promoter that ended up going on into a lot of different areas. Sheik? Jim Barnett. Oh, Jimmy Barnett. Oh, boy. Yeah, Jimmy yeah a very was... young man, worked for Fred Kohler. Hmm. Because then Barnett. he took a bunch of Al Half talent. Uh, it, then it with Andy. Points. Yeah, he, he did stuff in Indianapolis, of course, which was big. We're talking prior to Australia, which was yes. what Barnett may be best known for, other than double-crossing Ole Anderson with the Briscoes on the time slot for TBS, Ted Turner for Georgia Championship Wrestling, which was infamous. But I, I met Barnett many times. If you've ever talked to Dickie Steinborn, Dickie Steinborn was the one who worked the long story of your IWA footage, very briefly, was another territory war. I covered all of them, and I loved them because they, it was like Vince 90s versus WCW, two people competing and bringing in their, their all guns blazing. So the top territory wars in the 70s, early 70s, Detroit, obviously, Sheik, NWA versus Dick the Bruiser, WWA. Montreal, Vashon Grand Prix versus Rougeau, La Lute later international, but Atlanta was the start of the IWA, few people know, and Gunkel lost her husband Ray in a uh, Atlanta office match at the Atlanta City Auditorium to Ox Baker. Ox did not, mm -hmm. wasn't the cause of it. Ray Gunkel had a heart attack after the match died. They didn't take care of her properly or she thought they disrespected her. So for two years, from 72 to about 
late 74. She ran WA Ward Yeah. And and she beat them often because guys like, you know, Bruno was not, he'd asked Vince Senior to take the strap off him. So he was free to go and book himself anywhere. So he and Ernie Ladd came in and worked, sold out major towns for Andy Gunkel. She was out drawing for a short period of time, similar to Eric Bischoff versus Vince later on, but she was out drawing the NWA office and that had a booking team headed by Bill Watts, but he also had Tom Renesto, uh, Leo Garibaldi, and, and some yeah. other ones. And those Fred Ward, act. Yeah. Paul Jones. Ward, yeah. Yeah. Promoter Paul Jones. Not yeah. the yeah. Paul Jones. Yeah, no. The old balding yeah. promoter Paul Jones right. was a legend. But so Dickie Steinborg is working as top booker. That's a weird story. And then we're going to get back to classic all-star wrestling with Adam Parsons and Rock Parsons in a sec. But Annie Gunkel is working with Dick Steinborn, and somehow the Atlanta office sent the original assassin, Tom Renesto, who was best friends with Leo Garibaldi as a Trojan horse to come in and sabotage her promotion, which he kind of almost did. You know, he came in, he, he was saying, oh, I don't work for Atlanta anymore. I don't work with Bill Watts on the book committee, nothing. But anyway, she's out drawing. So it, it's starting to fizzle. She was terribly emotionally drained. And Dickie Steinborn kind of takes over, continues the fight a bit. And then he uh, gets a money mark in Eddie Einhorn. And they start doing the initial, what turned into IWA TV in South Carolina before, you know, it really took off. And then they, Einhorn had enough money as co-owner of the Chicago White Sox to buy TV time on major channels all throughout the U.S. starting in 75. So they finally eventually moved the TV tapings in South Carolina that I was at to the Beacon Theater, historic Beacon Theater in New York City, because they couldn't get any other venues. Vince Senior controlled all of them. Won't bore you with all of that stuff, but that was how your IWA came about. The three historic Roosevelt Stadium shows that countered Vince Senior, Eddie Einhorn, uh, with Pedro Martinez Martinez as his lead booker, George uh, Crybaby Cannon and Kangaroo El Costello were the two bookers underneath. But I, I know I've told Jonathan that he's heard this too many times, but at the very first of the three classic outdoor Roosevelt Stadium shows, and the first one drew about 22,000. So Vince Sr. was nervous. And then on top was Neil Moskers against Ivan Koloff in the pouring rain. But in the locker room, all of this talent, unbeknownst to Einhorn, just more than talent, came in to see what all the fuss was about because Einhorn said he wanted to run against Munchnik's NWA and primarily against Vince Sr.'s Tri-WF. So Sam Munchnik, the Sheik, Eddie Farhut, Johnny Powers came in, and Fez brought Ricky Starr, the original Ricky Starr, who was on all of the Fred Kohler, later, you know, the Bob Luce. Bob Luce didn't even come about till. I'm guessing 1969-70. He was, so I'm jumping now into this thing with Bob Luce in Chicago. He was sort of the figurehead commissioner, promoter. The real promoters were, it was a joint effort between Bruiser's WWA and Ganya's AWA. In Chicago, right. it was weak. It was a weird mix of two territories because Bruiser and Ganya could coexist just fine. But Bob Luce was said to be the promoter. He was the on-air host of the TV. He actually produced and sent me four of his commercial tapes that he did, you know, well after he retired. With him doing the voice, you know, he the original commentary, you didn't get to hear. You heard him in a studio talking over it, 
saying all this crazy stuff, but he had some amazing. Yeah, he was wild. Yeah, and that's what he would say in his. He ran TV spots. I have some of these commercials hyping these around the country, and he'd say, "Oh, it's wild and wooly, you know, Bloodfest TV." But he had a lot of cool blackjacks versus Bruiser and Crusher, you know, some shows that I shot ringside at, like when Bruiser and Crusher took, I guess it was, it was either 75 or 77, they took the AWA tag straps and Ray and Nick. And the amphitheater, I love that venue. It was home to many, many riots. Uh, but they, they rioted for no reason when their heroes, the baby faces, Bruiser and Crusher won the tag titles on that night. In like August, uh, I think it was August of 77, if I'm not mistaken. But that was where you might have heard about the riot that started when a fan who hated Vern Gagne, the face champion, defending his Bockwinkle. He was a Bockwinkle lover. So he, he took a handgun from the balcony and started shooting at ringside. And luckily, nobody got killed. That was a riot then that made all of the magazines, the Mark magazines. But anyway, you have what I'm trying to say is you have a tremendous amount of history. And whether there's eight or seven A or excuse me, Vice Network territories documentaries, they pale in comparison to what you've been doing. How long have you been running, uh, say, the New England Sports Channel show? You've been doing that well over a year, right? Probably so, a year and a half. Yeah. You're giving yeah. education in the territories and the absolute best that nobody can touch. You can't touch a show where you'll have Polynesian Pro. What was that match you had? It was a six man with Andre in it with Angelo Mosca, like, Maybe. Oh, and Bundy's involved, and Kevin Sullivan's involved too, and Mark Lewin, and Mark Lewin's yeah, involved. Mark Lewin. I think it's Bundy's, Bundy, Sullivan, and Lewin against Andre, Mosca, and Mosca. That was amazing. I didn't, I never had seen that because Leah used to run her TVs. I, I told you guys too many times in San Jose, and she oddly, even though she used to routinely stiff people that would come over and wrestle, ask. Uh, Debbie Combs, how she stiffed her and the late Candy Devine, who came and wrestled for her in Hawaii, you know, saying, Well, just think you got a nice vacation out of it. You know, they didn't get paid. But she did run, you know, I, I criticized Leah, but everybody did because she stiffed people. The original true promotion, there is the gold mine. If you could get your hands on. Uh, I have very little of it. Some of the stuff that was in that Polynesian stuff that, that Lars Anderson gave to us, like, Two hours of it has Francis on commentary. There's a match. Um, well, maybe we've never just never used it. I know we did never use it on the TV show, but maybe on a DVD or something we've done. Uh, it's Rick Martel against Bockwinkel for the AWA title. Wow. But Francis is on commentary, so it's it's Ed Francis pre. Yeah, it's before it's Ed before, Francis uh, had the promotion from the fifties until maybe seventy nine eighty. I forget when Leah came in because we were told it was an aggressive takeover of Leah with the Hawaiian mafia that shut Ed Francis down. But Ed Francis did that classy, classy promotion. He was affiliated with all groups, all Japan, because his partner, Lord Blears, who did the commentary, was the figurehead PWF commissioner for Giant Baba in all Japan when it got started. And he routinely went there, which ensured that all Japan talent would work on uh, Ed's shows. But he had this working relationship with AWA. Vern would send him TV matches, the NWA. And I told you about that. So if you, that is, Jonathan asked, what would be the goldmine? It would be the Ed Francis shows because he taped his house shows at the, what it used to be called, we called it the HIC, Honolulu International Center Arena. It later became Blaisdell. Neil Blaisdell. Yeah, that's how I know it. 
But I told, uh, this is the card. I remember it from memory because I was there. Main event, Terry Funk in a Texas dead match, match with the Sheik, double juice. Underneath that, Ray and Nick defending the AWA tag strips, which they brought there against Pedro Morales. This was 73. So he brought his actual, and it was on felt. It wasn't leather. It was like a green felt or red felt. His Tri-WF world title team with Boba Brazil. Um the guy that did all the commentary on your Polynesian Pro, Ripper Roy Collins, was a big deal. Very colorful. Ripper did the Poly. Ripper did the Poly Pro. Uh, Francis did some commentating on that little bit that we have, and James Blairs did some commentating as well. Well, I mean, Ripper Collins was the very first heel color commentary in all of wrestling. He did that in Los Angeles with Dick Lane. Uh, in 71, 72, and early 73, very way before Jesse Ventura, most credit with being it. No, Ripper Roy Collins was. But on that card, too, the opening match was like Neil Moskers against Lonnie Moondog Maine. That's the opener, which would have been a main event for Don Owen in Portland. Uh, all, all up and down. Uh, handsome Johnny Barron was on the show, Mark Lewin. Oh, and they had a battle royal with Gene Kaniski in it, Dory Jr. in it. And it was the very first meeting ever with Andre the Giant and Giant Baba. They met backstage prior to. They'd never met each other. And then they're in the Battle Royal. So first time they'd ever touched. And they wouldn't touch wow. again until Andre went over there to work for Baba after WWF got rid of him. And, you know, he was doing a swan song, sadly, in ill health. But, I mean, the card had Blassie and John Tolis. I mean, it had literally everybody. And as Jonathan heard a million times over, Bruno was coming in to work for Baba. He wasn't booked on the card. He just wanted to do a stopover in Honolulu, work on his tan in the day. The show was that night. So he, he said to Ed Francis, don't announce me to the fans because I don't have a match, but you just want to hang in the locker room with all this pals. So can you imagine Bruno in there with the Funks, Ray Stevens, Nick Bockwinkle, the Sheik, you know, it just literally had everybody in the world that was important was on that Honolulu show. And if you, that would be the gold mine is Ed Francis's stuff. Um, his PR guy, George Papu just died in Colorado about a month, six weeks ago. I don't know. His son, of course, is Russ Francis who played, you know, yeah, played 90s, for the bears, got involved in wrestling, WrestleMania two, that footballer battle Royal. Um, but anyway, let's let you plug uh plug away but this is it's important tv and it's enjoyable adam does a fantastic job as host and then introing you know and doing the segments in and outros uh so let me let you just plug away because i know I've, I've overtaken your segment talking <laughs> thank you so you're okay um so on, if you want an easy way go on social media on facebook especially is where we're where we heavily hit things you can go to the wrestling legends network on facebook or classic all-star wrestling on facebook and see us there and then um if you are unsure if you do not want to spend uh, 13 cents a day to watch all of that great classic wrestling almost 2000 hours right now is up on wrestling legends network which is on roku fire stick android ios um, it's getting ready to be on every video tv in the country getting ready to be on every samsung tv in the country already downloaded you just have to go on to it and sign up that'll be happening soon said about 2000 hours of classic wrestling footage new stuff getting added all the time featuring all those promotions and all these stories and guys we've talked about well you uh, had randy three. savage as a baby face against the guy who become one man gang crusher broomfield yeah it was a terrific match i'd never seen it because randy was always heel macho man for his 
family Paco ICW promotion. But here he was a face and I was freaking out. I'd never seen that before. And you just had that. You put that on free TV. Well, just wait, wait until uh, the best of ICW volumes one through five is coming out. There's stuff that's never been seen in over 40 years, stuff I just got taken off master and transferred over and then um, got done. But uh, that channel is going to have all of that. Tubi has this as well. You go through classic wrestling, type in classic wrestling or just type in pro wrestling, you'll find it. You just look through and find the old stuff on there. Most of it's ours. That's not all of it is. Um, there's a channel just on Roku right now that is commercial-based. So it's called Wrestling Classics. You type in Wrestling Classics on Roku. That is 100% free. It has about under 10% of what is on streaming right now. It just gives you a little bit of a taste in case you don't get to watch Classic All-Star Wrestling. You can go on, uh, look through your local listings for Classic All-Star Wrestling. That's on NESN, which is the Northeastern Sports Network. Um it's on in 186 million homes uh, around the world. Most of it it's is on direct TV. States, it's right. It's, not. It's, yeah, it's channel 620 or 624 on direct TV. Yeah. So and it, and it actually plays on there more than just uh, Wednesday really? at midnight. I think it plays two or three other times um, throughout the week. They kind of spot play it in there. And sometimes it changes. Sometimes it doesn't. So if you just type in classic all-star wrestling, if you have direct TV, you'll be able to find it on NDSN. Uh, but not only that, you'll be able to find it in a lot of different places on on streaming local now. Um, it's on Tubi. Um, it's soon to be on the Roku channel uh, for classical or no, classical Ultra wrestling is on the Roku channel. It's not on Tubi. I apologize. If you go to the Roku channel on Roku, you can find classical star wrestling. Um, and we've got about four different streaming sites right now looking to take it exclusively for season three. So it won't be on any set if one of these. Uh, streaming channels takes us exclusively, which I can't name those because I don't know which one's going to take us yet. Uh, but also, you guys talk about two gold mines. I think the two things I can hit on be the two most current as far as fans that have watched us and they're like, oh, well, I've seen all that stuff before. I just got 16 reels of championship wrestling from Florida with no commentary on it. House show matches right. never were played on TV. Uh, one of them is Dory Funk versus Jack Briscoe, and it says in parentheses 60 minutes. Um, so that match has never been, never been seen before. So I know a lot of that Florida stuff has been on YouTube. That is not. And then we just got about 20 hours of Nick Goulas wrestling, which was stuff that even the TV station thought, oh, no, it was gone. Well, it wasn't. I just haven't had um, – the time and ability to sit there and stick a three-quarter tape or a reel-to-reel or a two-inch tape in a machine and sit there and look at it and know what's on it. You know, a lot of her stuff that we got from the Martinez family wasn't ta- wasn't uh, marked what it was. Some of it was empty. So uh, Nick Gullis stuff, about 20 hours of that coming. The Florida stuff, it's hard to tell how much of it is left. That's through um, a third party. And uh, I'll just – I'll leave that <laughs> – I'll leave that at that right now. Until I mean, you have tons of then, Brody. If you're a Brody, Mark, you have oh, tons Bru- of Brody. Bruiser Brody. I've got more than anybody. I mean, there's nobody that has more Bruiser Brody than, than that. And we have his uh, widow. I've been close to her for over 40 years, Barbara Goodish, who's now living in Florida. Uh, I think her son Jeff is still in, in Texas. But she's going to be on the show uh, to give us a report at Cauliflower Alley in Vegas because I'm just not going. Uh, there were too many people that died catching COVID there last year. There was no monitoring. You know, and I'm a health conscious guy being a dentist, but she's going to uh, be there. She's the goodwill ambassador for CAC. So 
it's in about a week. So she always loves talking about Frank, whether it was uh, participating in tributes we did with Bill Watts and, and Hanson and Snooker when he was still alive or whatever. But um, have you met her or talked to her or anything? Because My dad has a good relationship with her. I have, um, I have never met her or talked to her. She's a real sweetheart. I mean, she... You know, if she has, I mean, she might just give you memorabilia. She's that nice of a person. She has donated a lot to the Thes Tragus Iowa Museum and stuff on him. Uh, you know, and, and she's, it's easier for her to talk about it now. You know, if you saw the, soon after he died, Baba brought her over and, and son Jeffrey there. And, and she was pretty emotional in the ring during that big ceremony. But she's, you know, now, uh it's a little easier for her and uh, she's very generous salt of the earth. And I know she would love seeing this stuff. Um, and yeah, because I think I didn't, I see was it, uh, geez, who, who was, it was, a, it was classic stuff for anybody that's a history person, yellow belly, Buck Robley, Colonel Buck Robley against Brody. You just heard that a couple of weeks ago. I think yeah. you, don't you have some, you get some Abby Brody stuff. You must have Abby Brody. Uh, like two, two or three. Yeah. Um, a lot of it looks the same. So sometimes I think it could be a different match, but sometimes it's hard to tell. But yeah, a lot of that Brody stuff went Southwest. I mean, Joe Blanchard would take guys that were obviously not good looking guys and he'd make them and they'd be draw, they would draw huge houses with these guys that were not. Scott Casey was, you know, a baby face, which you wouldn't look at. You can look at him and go, oh, yeah, that's a good, you know, that guy looks like a good guy. But Brody, uh, Bobby Jaggers, Bob Sweetan, Manny Fernandez. That was more blood and guts, and Brody was a huge part of that. And, of course, they went against Robley. Yeah, Robley and, and then Jonathan Boyd with the Sheep Herders. Yeah, they, Brody had a pretty good run in San Antonio. Southwest Championship was the big deal on USA before Vince ever came to it. They had that slot, and they had to vacate because it was too violent. It was some kind of censorship thing. I think they dumped a bunch of – feces on top of Terry Funk's head that got him canceled, but people be craving that stuff. And you, and it's amazing, you know, the wrestling and the, the quality of wrestlers there. Are amazing. You'll see guys who are main eventers in other territories jobbing for Joe Blanchard. So, you know, big, 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 uh, all of uh, classic all-star wrestling is. So um, is there any other stuff that I didn't ask you that you'd like to talk about or plug? Um, I know. I think Jonathan had a few more questions, and I'd be happy to answer them after I say this. And just also know that Ricky Morton's been a guest. Uh, Terry Sullivan was an old uh, announcer there right, uh, right. for commentator for Detroit Wrestling. Um, Larry Sabisco. There. That's, how, that's how we got connected. Larry Sabisco, soon to come on streaming. That's why you need to follow us on Facebook at Wrestling Legends Network and Classic All Star Wrestling. Larry and I have two shows. We have Classic All Star Wrestling. Super Show, which right. is a, not just a 30-minute show. It's an extended show that features nothing but legitimate main, main event matches. A lot of it starting out as the Jerry Lawler, Austin Idol stuff in 1987. And then after that, me and Larry have a show called Adventures and Tales from Larryland, where I go through Larry's career from the very beginning until the very end. We did one episode of that so far. It is probably 90 minutes long. Um, Kudos to Vance Nevada. Uh, he did a very good job of helping me get some Vancouver stuff, which covered about 20 minutes of the interview, which just was some stuff that I didn't know that he kind of was able to give me. And then Larry was able to kind of tell me stuff to clue me in. 
It covers the first episode from Adventures and Tales from Larry Land covers everything from Larry's birth until 1980. Episode two will just be about 1980 against him and Bruno. So it's a really cool look. Um, just think if, if Bruno, if Larry had a podcast for three years, that's what you're going to get out of these interview segments. Um, it's broken down to where we're covering a guy's career two or three hours at a time. Not so much just talking about BS. Uh, but talking about, you know, just strictly focusing on a guy's career. So those two shows with Larry are going to be really good. Like you said, Ricky Morton's been on there as well. Um, Terry Sullivan's been on there as well. Rip Rogers will be on there soon. Um, there'll be a lot of different guys bouncing in and out of there. So that's another reason to kind of watch you get to see some different guys current day. But I'm, I think Jonathan probably had one or two more questions for me. Yeah, beat me to the punch with the question I had about – I was going to ask about – Larry and his show. Okay. But I've heard, I'll wrap with this. I've heard you've grown an interesting relationship with Rip Rogers, who we know has no filter. Am yeah. I right on that? That's absolutely right. Who did you hear that from? Me, but not me, but okay. no, he knows <laughs> Rip doesn't. And Serena Deeb has talked about that at length. I spent about two hours talking to her. Rip broke her in as he did about a million other pieces of talent, including uh, Mark Henry before Dory Jr. finessed him, and et cetera. And uh, I, I got to tell you, Rip, one of my best pals on the planet, ask him his prized possession that he always carries around in his wallet. And he's got a larger thing framed uh, at, a, at a weekend of champions convention in New York in 91. I took him outside to a garden area because I was already posing Buddy Rogers, you know, everywhere I could feeding off the nature boy thing oh it's the picture of the yeah. picture of rip that. that you took that i told you yeah, i took that <laughs> one of his so rip okay. uh, and i are joined forever but this was a guy who when he worked for otto vons in austria for one of those big championship carnival type tours would like call or snail mail me results send me the programs you know so rip is aces but yeah, Jonathan is right. Jonathan, who did tell you that he has no filter? You must have heard that from a bunch of wrestlers. I believe it was Rip himself when we talked to him. Oh, yeah. He is aces, and that really very few, you know, where Jerry Jarrett for booking, I think Rip, pretty much everything else is, is so respected. And yeah, he's got no filter, and he'll call you a piece of S or whatever. But he has a good heart. And look at the people that he has really laid hands on, with Danny Davis especially, but all by himself, that he really got into this business that are megastars. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, he sent, he sent 64 people um, to be on national television. Um, so when you think about that, I don't know. And it, it may be more than 64 now. That was, it was at 63 uh, when I first met him, and I think since then one more has, and I think Serena may be the one that was, uh, so that puts him at 64, but there may be a couple more guys that have gotten on AEW or, or, you know, WB tryouts since then. Uh, but yeah, Rip is, uh, doesn't get nearly enough credit as far as where credit is due. I mean, it did that whole entire, the WB did an attitude era show where they were going through things. And I talked about OVW and I don't even think Rip was even in it. <laughs> Just just look at, though, even his, his career when Ole got the time slot back, even though it was way, way early, like at 4 a.m. Pacific time for after Vince had that horrific, you know, Black Saturday and, and the whole year WWF garbage on that on TBS. 
Rip and, uh, oh God, Brenda Britton was his valet then. And they split yep. up. I was sad to hear him tell me when they split up. He told me at the time. But they were like the top stars. You know, it wasn't quite the Georgia championship. They tagged with, he either tagged with Ted or Jerry Oates, and I can't remember which one it was. I think it was yeah, Ted. Yeah, I don't remember either. But he was involved in a lot of the feuds. And I think that was that uh, later program was kind of, wasn't that? I, I forget if the Road Warriors debuted be, on, on Ole's TV the, before the Vince Tate. They did. After. Yeah, okay. the Road Wars debuted on Always TV when they were still on prime, you know, prime time, but they were still known for being on TBS. And then Vince came when they came back. Always said he wanted to go in a completely different direction. He didn't want monster heels, he wanted chicken shit heels. So they got one of the Oates brothers, and I think it was Ted, and Rip were the fabulous blondes uh, with Brenda. Is um does Vince own all of the OVW or could maybe uh, Rip give you some? Yeah, he owns, he owns all of that up until when they left. He took all the footage with him. And, so uh, anything pre-Vince or post-Vince is up in the air. I don't mean to rag on WWE, but I told you this story. Jonathan's heard it way too many times. In 92, Vince flew myself, Meltzer, Wade Keller, and others that either had newsletters or, in my case, a radio and a little dinky TV syndicated show in. And blah blah blah, but we got to see the beginning of the all-day tour there, and it ended with Vince and Linda, you know, doing a Q and A with us, and blah blah blah. This was pre-steroid, pre-ring boy scandal, and they wanted to circumvent that, which is why we were all brought out there. But we did get a couple-hour tour of their video facility that I told you about, and and the then it was the storage thing. And if you've seen now the last year of A and E massive storage areas they get all this video and it's just i guess to collect it and put it aside because it won't fans won't see it they still do not have any physical hall of fame so i was even offered as were other photographers who've been shooting for decades and decades i was offered six figures which is a little low you know it was a little shy of eighty thousand for my wrestling negatives and slides which i could never use again but you know for bigger photographers they made bigger offers like George, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't be able to use it and it would just sit and no one would see it. So, uh, but that's the way their thought process is with obtaining all of these videos, like uh, whatever they got from uh, Bill Watts' ex-wife, the, the classic Mid-South stuff. They're just sitting on that. Fans won't enjoy it. And it's like, what is the purpose of amassing all of this? We're just looking at the video, not all of the collectibles, the outfits, boots, whatever. What is the point of just getting this? And I think you had a good thought on that. You may even have to say it. But yeah, he, he, well, I'll say it. He doesn't want anybody to see it. He's going to collect this and no one knows what good wrestling is. He doesn't want he, – he said in the early 90s that he wanted to get to a point, you know, he had just – he left, lost Hogan, he lost Brett, troubles with Sean, all those people, personalities, with Savage, whatever. He doesn't want any one guy to carry the ball. He wants interchangeable parts where if person A is wrestling person B, but person A leaves, he can just fill in person A. So they're cogs in the wheel. Down here, yeah, and they don't have any real superstar. And if you really think about it, in the last 10 years, um, I mean, Brock Lesnar can translate to a different audience, but there's nobody. I think Roman Reigns is doing a really good job right now. I don't watch enough, but I, I watch enough to know that I think you, you should know. Usos is good. 
Well, um, Vince out, Vince out. The product has improved greatly, as Jonathan would be one of the first to tell you too. It's improved greatly. Last night was kind of a bore fest show, a step back. But other than last night, all of their shows since this left have been terrific. Their uh, developmental is great, as we're going to see tonight. You know, in just about forty minutes. Uh, because they're losing the Vince 2.0 garbage and they're going back to black and gold, uh, which is where the Samoa Joes, the Shinsuke Nakamura's, all of the great talent, even Seth Rollins, that's where Roman Reigns came from. All of that stuff is is back. So you, you should check that out. But they don't want people to, and, and that's where all of that stuff, like I said, with uh, maybe Bob Luce's daughter and wife, widow, uh, just donate it to uh, either something, somebody like you in its video or to the Thes Tragus, where then it can be preserved properly and then enjoyed and seen and viewed by everybody worldwide. Because those warehouses, that's the insulting thing. If you watch the hidden treasures, Jonathan, you watched all of those, the hidden treasures where they go out and they try to buy from some poor fan or referee Charles Robinson his, his classic Ric Flair uh, peacock robe. And, and they just, you know, they have the money to ply these folks that don't want to really part with the stuff. And, and then they just put it in there. And it's just, you know, they have this display. But the only time people ever see it is for the megasecond on the, the TV show, the A&E thing. And they're not ever going to have any physical access to it. Um, it. It's sort of almost like William Randolph Hearst hoarding all of this stuff. So nobody else can enjoy it but themselves. And, and that just kills me or... Title and I'll put it this way. I'm not going to say what, and I'm sure you got a hell of a collection, Mike, but there was one thing you showed me pictures of, and I'm like, I would do anything for it. And you said, we'll talk about it. But I also just emailed you during this conversation because there are, I would love to be able to t- obtain some wrestling pieces. Yeah, you know, just as a fan. You mean the picture I got from the St. Louis wrestling office where the wrestlers like Brody endorsed them or Thez or Buddy Ross? Yeah, checks, yeah. I, I didn't want to throw you under the bus. It, no, <laughs> I, I got all that only because Harry White got all that stuff, including the Missouri state title, the historic Missouri state title from Sam Munchnik's office, the central state tag belts. And then he proceeded to sell them on eBay. But he just gave me some of those checks. He sold the majority of them. The where Sam Munchley actually wrote out the check, gave it to Ric Flair, Dick the Bruiser, Johnny Valentine, Canisco, Brisky, Spunks, whomever, Pat O'Connor. They'd endorse it, and then he would save those retained checks. But um, I, I do have three original Gorgeous George solid gold, not the gold-plated later ones, the Bobby, the Gorgie, Georgie pins from Gorgeous George that are framed. Oh, so you stuff. told me that, and I think I don't. I think that we maybe it got missed over in conversation the first time we talked. So, <laughs> two stories. One, I didn't really want to say it earlier because we were just trying to talk about um, classic all star wrestling and, and wrestling legends network. But um, Bob Armstrong was the only wrestler when Ann Gunkel split from the NWA. They all left. Went to Ann. That's why she was kicking into his ass there in Atlanta. Bob and one other guy were the only two to stay. And I can't remember who the other guy was. It was kind of like a Bill Drummo because Bill Drummo was one of Bob's good friends, but it wasn't. Um, I can't it remember. Wasn't the guy Ron Fuller, who was the, it, it wasn't Ron Fuller who was the Bullets tag championship tag partner there. 
the name he gave the name that Bob gave me was different than Ron Ford, but Ron may have stayed too, or maybe when it happened, Ron just left altogether. The guy to ask um, though is Les Thatcher was working in the office. He did the program and he used to write for my newsletter back then. You but know, the other thing I was gonna say, you talk about those gold pens, Bob's first wrestling show he ever went to, which I did an I did I had Bob Armstrong last interview, which is, uh, was very, very good. He did a great he did a great interview. And the first wrestling match he ever went to, Gorgeous George was in town. And Gorgeous George took one of those pins out and threw it out into the crowd. And all these people dove on. They started fighting and whatever. <laughs> and this late, this little lady came up with the gold pin. And they announced it like, you know, it was such a small town being in Marietta, Georgia. Or maybe it was right outside of Marietta, wherever the match was. They had to drive. But they announced like, oh, it's Betty Lou as <laughs> the recipient of the gold pen. And she went like this and stuck that pen up and she was wearing all white. And he said her face was just covered in blood and her shirt had just came down. Like those fans went insane. Jesus. You all know who uh, paid for uh, Gorgeous George's funeral, right? Was it uh, Dick Byer, the destroyer? Nope. Angelo Poffo. Really? That's surprising. the reason that was, and yeah, everybody knows the frugalness of the Poffos. I'm not knocking anybody, but Lanny would be able to confirm this. And obviously, everybody knows that at the end of his life and stuff, Gorgeous George wasn't because he lived penniless. a lavish lifestyle. Well, no, he was penniless because he put all his yes. money through the turkey ranch and nobody wanted to buy turkey burgers. He was ahead of his time because now. You know, turkey burgers the last 20, 30 years have been big, but yeah. then he it broke his bank and he was an alcoholic. Yes. So, this st- short version of the story was when Angela was coming up in the business, Gorgeous George was very good to Angelo. So, obviously, when George passed away, you know, Angela stepped up and said, Hey, this guy helped make me. I'm going to help his uh, widow out and stuff. Well, so. well, that's yeah, that's good. shocking because uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, which, I mean, you know, he got the nickname the Miser and I've used the gimmick the Miser. And actually in Grand Prix, he was the Miser. He was the carpet bag. Yes. And then he came back to ICW as the Miser. But the night that uh, William Harding, they did Bob Roop was doing the Shooters Challenge. You know, if you could uh, last so many minutes within a former Olympian in the ring, would give you whatever. Let's just say it was a thousand dollars or five thousand dollars. Well, Roop wasn't an Olympian anymore. He was a guy that used to be an Olympian that hadn't trained like an Olympian in 12, 13, 14, 15 years. So this guy named William Harding, who's from Kentucky, um, who I'm friends with on Facebook, he went to go put the sugar hold on him. And William was so thin that he kept being able to slip out of the sugar hold. And Bob couldn't get it done in like three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so the people, which that's why it's a stupid idea anyway. But the people start chanting, you know, refund, refund, refund. You know, they're supposed to give, they all are asking for their money back because they won't give the money to this guy. So the cop comes up to Angela and says, hey, you're going to have to give this guy the money. And Angela calls the guy back there. And let's just say it was a thousand for basic math. All right, how about instead of a thousand, how about 500? We'll give you free tickets for the rest of your life. Or how about okay? How about how about six hundred? But we'll pay. We'll take you out to dinner tonight. Now how about seven fifty? You know, get so he's working them back and forth. 
So eventually he has to give up the money away. And the way Bob Roop tells the story is Bob Roop says, I think Angelo would have probably gave, rather given up, let's say, Lanny Poffo than he would have he would have given up that thousand dollars. He probably would have rather given up one of his kids. So that is crazy. That's that story. I'm not saying it's not true, but that's Wait, I'm going to email Lanny down in South America about it to ask, and he'll give me the straight poop. Maybe we can get him on the show, and I'll invite you, too, because if you've not talked to Lanny, you'll enjoy it. I got to ring announce with him. This was on Slam Wrestling. They talk about this poor promoter, Gordon Scazzari, in 91, who blew his inheritance when his parents died. Blew this inheritance on a TV taping, but I he managed Sheik and Sabu, but he also had me prior to that. I mean, the gimmick that Sheik brought for me, uh, but I'm in the ring doing ring announcing for the first two shows of six TV tapings. Never saw the light of day with Angelo. Angelo was a smart guy, but he wanted to instill in his kids. He wrongly was so many other wrestlers like the Sheik, Abdullah Butcher were labeled. And then, like Meltzer would write about them, oh, you know, well-known cheapskates. No, uh, because of what Angela had seen Jerry Graham do to himself and go through all that money and legitimately burning $50 bills to light a cigar with, you know, he would try to impress the magazines or he, he actually did that. Uh, and then he went nuts and, and lots of sad stuff that Angela wanted to instill in his kids, you know, hey, you know, particularly in this business where you're cheated, you really need to you know, be smart with your money. So it was more that and teaching values than him. Yeah. But, you know, but he, he joked about himself with the miser gimmick and then he even had the miser wrestler and ICW. So wait, this thing where you had to give away, you actually had to pay the guy five grand. Was it in ICW or somewhere else? Where was it? Was it was an ICW in Lexington. It was wow. in Lexington at Rupp Arena. I think it was a thousand. Maybe he ended up giving the guy. I don't know if he gave it all to him, but yeah, Bob Roop said. I think at that point he would have rather given up Lanny Poffo. Anyway, I'll, I'll ask Lanny. I'll ask Lanny about that. Uh, <laughs> but but Lanny, or excuse me, Angela was. I mean, you should see the place they had. Did you ever go to their place? In it wasn't Land O'Lakes, Florida. Down, all the no. The place in Florida. He had a, a, a big string of townhouses and condos and some yeah. of this would rent from him. And, you know, Lanny sent me pictures years and years ago. It was quite the deal when his mom was still alive, their mom and Randy was still alive. And uh, so I think I would rather be Angelo Poffo, have all kinds of property. There were very few guys, Angelo or Thez or Vern, very Dick uh, Hutton and, and also Dick Byer that kept their money. A lot of guys were like penniless. And um, that's why Gorgeous George had to put his hair on the line, both in Toronto against Whipper Watson, where he had, then he had his valet wife, who I was very close to, Cherie Dupree. She ended up having her head shaved because George didn't want to do it that night. So he welched on that, similar to what you're talking about with Angelo. And then he had to beg Jules Stronglore, genius booker in LA, to give him any kind of match and all they could think of. And Dick Byer said, all right, you know, mask hair will be our gimmick. And finally, George had his head shaved for that thing. But, uh, you know, you, I saw so many guys, like, at the very end, there were a couple of us that would go and bring food and look in on Jerry Graham at his end when he was in a wheelchair and had early onset dimension stuff. He was in, like, a 20-by-40-foot apartment. It was criminal. And I saw many legends, Gene and Steve Stanley, who had nothing left. These guys were huge megastars for Vince Sr., and Jess McMahon and Fred Kohler prior to Bob Luce in Chicago. 
many guys literally had nothing. And another guy who was African-American, the guy that really kept his money, Tiger Conway Sr., he had all kinds of uh, property in, in Houston, Texas. And, but they were, uh, less than 10% of the wrestlers kept their wealth. Uh, you know, I saw so many horrible You'll games. have to ask. I got one more for you, Mike. You'll have to mention Alani. He'll confirm with you. Or should be able to confirm. And obviously, Randy, they every the whole family was smart with their money, let's say. But Randy did exceptionally well, obviously, with his career. And he always wanted to feel like a good son for Angelo and his mother and, and would do cruises and trips to Israel and this, that, and the other. Yeah, when dad was retired before he had his health issues. And they finally had to beg and plead Randy to stop sending us on vacation. He'd be like, what, I'm not a good son? What? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Yeah, I don't mind treating you guys. Randy, we're tired from traveling. We want to stay home. So I can see that out of Randy, but Angelo, I'm not uh, that story with the funeral. Angelo used to say all the time and Rip used to come in all the time. Angelo said, I would rather die rich than live poor. But that was the one case that I'm aware of that he helped out. It's a good quality in Angelo because I saw so many of these guys penniless. Pepper Gomez, who lived like a mile from me in Alameda, California, he and his wife Bonnie had like a duplex, a rental. And this guy, Main evented against Ray Stevens in San yeah. We main evented for Vern. He main evented for Dick the Bruiser. He main evented for every mm-hmm. promoter, all four promotions in Texas, including Amarillo and Fritz in Dallas and Bosch in Houston and San Antonio. And, and, and they had nothing. And he had to take a second job as a, uh, uh, a waiter at famous Scomus restaurant in San Francisco on the wharf. He had no money from wrestling. So when he was done with wrestling and Roy Shire couldn't, you know, even give him opener matches anymore, he worked and he at least was requested as a waiter and got fame in the newspapers and all that. And, um, you know, and he was like the most requested waiter ever at Scomas. I went there and, you know, would see him and blab with him. But then when they canned, he sued and got like quite a bit of money suing them for uh, sued Scomas restaurant for uh, age discrimination, but he at least got a settlement. So he finally got a big payday, but it wasn't from wrestling and no guy deserved it more. Pepper Joe Gomez was a complete professional, a legend in wrestling. I know you've got footage of him. So it's classic all-star wrestling. What is again, the wrestling legends network uh, wrestling the- legends network. It's three 99 a month or 13 cents a day. And if you don't want to subscribe to that right it's away, nothing. you get a wrestling classics on Roku and you can check out about 5% of what's on there for free. Yeah. And it's, I wouldn't be touting this. I wouldn't seek you out and have you on if I didn't want to to the fact that this stuff is incredible. I enjoy every show, classic all-star wrestling, and uh, I should be subscribing soon. I just have to get my Roku unit to, to work or get a new one. But uh, all right, guys, I guess I'll close it up unless anybody has any stuff housekeeping to, to plug. Um, Adam Parsons, say hi to your dad for us, and uh, I'll okay. be blabbing with you soon, I'm sure. And I'll let both you guys know what Lanny said. But anything anybody else wants to add before we close up? Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And wait, did you say, are you coaching like a, a baseball or? Uh, Football. We're in number one right now. 
um, number one football team in the highest division in the state of West Virginia, Parkersburg South High School. And you've got a kid old enough to be in high school? No, he's only three. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't know if it was peewee football or no, this is big time football, collegiate amateur high school. That's big time stuff. Yeah, high school. Yeah. Good for you. Well, All right, you. Thank, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. everybody. try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries <laughs> now that's what i call depressing is gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope want to jump off the highest of planks for those that are getting now that's what i call depressing you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while in Cell Block 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open, writes this shit. Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Crazy Train Radio, and don't ever forget, I love you.